This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 100. We made it. I literally can't believe we are in triple figures. This is super exciting. I am so proud and so grateful. And yeah, let me just take a minute to say thank you to everybody who has listened uh, from episode zero all the way through to now. For those people who have joined recently, those people who joined a little while ago, thank you so, so much for keeping Uh, me recording these and of course a gigantic thank you to all of my show's patrons. You guys genuinely uh, make me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile and that leads to more episodes. (laughs) You also keep me on my toes. but yeah, thank you so much. Like you guys helped to keep it running. You like financially, you helped to keep it, the show running and also like mentally and like, I don't know, motivationally, you guys are motivation to me. So thank you so, so much um, to everybody. And also a big thank you to Becca, who uh, does a lot of the background admin um, and VA work around uh, the show as well. Let me give another big thank you to everybody who has been on the show as well. Of course, there is no show without guests. So So thank you to um, all of the show's guests who have taken their time out of their busy schedules to uh, come on and let me talk to them. Now, I had intended on uh, doing a special, like, I don't know, special episode 100, but life got in the way and I haven't done it. So I was thinking maybe I would do a bonus, uh, like, episode, uh, some kind of reflection, me, uh, chit-chatting, And I'd actually planned to do that today, this afternoon, which is Friday the 20th. But unfortunately, I recorded this whole podcast (laughs) and then my computer froze. So I lost the whole thing and now I'm recording it again. So I've run out of time. (laughs) So I definitely don't think I'm going to be getting it to you this week. It's much more likely to be next week or the week after, I'm afraid. So yeah, I'm sorry. I will make it a good episode, good bonus. episode but you're gonna have to wait because my computer's a piece of shit. Coming up in this episode, I talk to one of my favourite writing humans, Caitlin Duncan, and we are going to be talking all about uh, rights reversion, subsidiary rights, selling rights, uh, mistakes to avoid, and all of that good stuff. But first to last week's question, which was how do you use short fiction in your business? So we had Matt Goodall who said, I'm using short slash flash fiction as a little bonus on the ends of my newsletters, as a little something extra for my subscribers. If I get positive feedback, I'll use that to gauge whether or not I publish them as a collection later. Ian Worrell said, use a short story as a lead magnet and will sometime publish a collection of shorts later. Edwin Downward said, I write short fiction either in answer to a challenge or because I want to explore a moment in a backstory. Only twice I have felt compelled um, to expand and uh, my story one's place exists as a free teaser into my writing style and universe and the other one is the one I submitted to the Rebel Diaries anthology. And that is a good point because I have been reading the Rebel uh, Diaries stories. I'm a little bit behind. I'm trying to get them done 
uh, sort of by the end of August so that we can then go into the second round uh, where we do the considerations uh, in September. Uh, I'm a tiny bit behind where I would like to be, but I am aiming to um to, to still hit where I said I would hit so fingers crossed yeah I think I underestimated how <laughs> how much a summer holiday is uh with your kid at home so yeah anyway this week's question is would you consider selling subsidiary rights and if so which ones the book of the week this week is our guest's book, Take Back Your Book Rights by Caitlin Duncan. Now, I had the pleasure of reading this book in advance, and uh, in advance, in advance, and it was fantastic. I learned quite a lot from it. Um, I think this book is fantastic for anybody who um, is a traditionally published author or a hybrid author, anybody who is considering uh, selling subsidiary rights or perhaps has already sold subsidiary rights or anybody um, who is really interested in the industry and deepening their knowledge about publishing in general. I learned an awful lot of things about what to watch out for in um, rights deals. I learned um, about experiences from authors who have both successfully brought back their, um, taken back their rights and those that, that weren't so successful like she does have case studies in there and she's got lots of information about you know like the things that you should do at each stage as well so it is jam-packed full of information and um, it was also really well timed for me because um, I've got some potential rights deals going on in the background I don't know I'm not really going to talk about them because they probably will fall through as many of these things do so um yeah I'm not like it was just well timed let me put it that way <laughs> so yeah I actually got an awful lot out of it um but I'm one of these people that just likes to absorb information anyway so even if I hadn't have been entirely relevant at this point in time it still would have been a fantastic uh read and something that I refer back to in the future so yeah, I really do recommend it and I will um, put affiliate links in uh, the show notes as well. Okay, so in personal news then, uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, JP at the Right Away podcast, uh, episode 55, well in fact any of their episodes, but uh, in particular episode 55, they um, did a very lovely shout out to me and they talked all about writing memorable characters. It's a great episode, so I highly recommend you go and have a listen to that. And I also want to say a very public and very deep and heartfelt thank you to JP, who um jumped on a Zoom call with me to do a brainstorm. Uh, JP has this fantastic ideation brain where um, just all these like mega ideas, it's like a, a bucket full of ideas. Yeah, and like, oh, I un helped to unstick me from a massive plot problem that I've had for like ever. And so now I'm hoping I can make some real progress on uh, editing tray next week and then hopefully make a decision. I'm doing uh, like a discount sale thing in September uh, for the first book in my young adult series. And I'm hoping that I will have been able to put tray on pre-order by then, but it really depends how far I get over the next couple of weeks. But yeah, I am like super super excited and I kind of have like the enthusiasm back as well so thank you JP I don't think you realize how grateful I am <laughs> I'm like super grateful um yes and what else so I have also been drafting the scent of death um I've been trying to in preparation for silent September which I'll explain again in a second um I have been trying to write every single day it is 
grueling at the moment because I've had like a three month break from writing words and even longer since I wrote fictional words. So I'm trying not to be an asshole to myself and remind myself that it takes some time to build back up a habit. But of course, my overachieving high achiever self doesn't accept that. So she's being a bitch and basically saying that what I'm producing is not good enough. So mm -hmm. we all know it's fine. It's fine. It's like I'm doing the doing. I'm sitting down every day. So, you know, that is all I can ask of myself. Actually, I don't even have to ask that of myself. Just like, just, just keep going. Whatever that looks like, that's fine. Anyway, um, Silent September, for those that didn't uh, listen in last week, I think I mentioned it last week. Anyway, Silent September um, is basically me trying to um, be more consistent with producing words. At the moment, I kind of like have these burn cycles where I will produce a whole bunch of words and then I will move into marketing. And so like it's a three month cycle of drafting and then three month cycle of marketing and so on and so forth. Unfortunately, that is not getting me what I want out of my year. So I did a load of maths and basically worked out that I need to do, like if I average a thousand words an hour, then I need to do 160 two hour sessions to reach 320,000 words a year, which is about the number of books. Like uh, I'm, when you, when you break it down, it's about the number of books that I want. I don't know if you can hear my wife cackling upstairs, but if you can, I'm sorry. She's clearly working hard on her work call. Anyway, uh, so for Silent September, at 7am every UK morning, I am going to be sitting my asshole onto my throne and uh, writing in silence on Zoom. So if you are a patron, you will be able to join me uh, every morning, Monday to Friday, and I am committing to doing that for one month. I'm not going to commit to doing it any further after that uh, because it's an experiment and we need to see if I can survive. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to produce words consistently uh, for that amount of time. What I do know is I'm probably going to have to do a fuck ton of input. So like inputting words, inputting inspiration really intentionally and rigorously to enable me to continue the outpouring. I am definitely like I have an inflow and outflow. <laughs> And if I don't inflow enough, I, I, like the outflow stops too. So uh, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be an experiment. If uh, if anybody can join at that time uh, because of time zones and you're a patron, then you are more than welcome to. Um, so yes. Uh, what else was I going to say today? Ah, yes. I also had the pleasure of being on Caitlin's YouTube channel. Um, I can't remember if I mentioned this in a previous episode, but uh, she recently interviewed me about side characters. Uh, so if you would like to go and have a listen to that and listen to me giving some uh, book recommendations and things, then you can do so. I have left a link to that in the show notes. So as for next week then, I uh, what am I trying to do? Well, I'm mostly going to be editing Trey. I have come back off after holiday and like to be perfectly honest, I mean, I think today is is augmenting this feeling just because like, I fucking lost the whole podcast. But um, I'm already feeling overwhelmed, which is not great. I like, I don't feel the overwhelm that I felt before I went away, but I am feeling a bit frustrated that I really want to be producing more and there just seems to be this mountain of fucking admin all over again. Um, and no matter what I do, there's just so much other shit that needs doing and I just, it's just so frustrating. 
I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I am not recovered enough. I don't... Don't know. Don't know. Anyway, um, I am continuing to, like, review it and, uh, you know... Uh, <laughs> problem solve that's the word you're looking for Sasha yeah I'm still trying to problem solve and also cut shit out that just isn't needed um so yeah I talked a little bit on next level authors podcast last week about um my no list so I've created like a no list uh of things that I'm just not going to do between now and the end of the year um so that I can focus on finishing projects I've got all of these open boxes projects books that um, I've started and not finished and before I take on new things I just I really need for my sanity to get some of these closed um and a huge part of that is Trey so I am hoping that this this is it um my plan is to just do like a whip through now of all of these structural changes and then I'm going to do one last like read through and sentence level tweak and then you know what fuck it like it is what it is it, it it's not going to be the height of my <laughs> writing career but the book does need to be done and yeah, I, I win when I publish. That is my new catchphrase. Yes, it's competition related, but it makes sense in my brain, <laughs> probably because I'm competitive, but I win when I publish. So um, I'm telling myself that it's okay, um, that it's going to be the best that it can be. And yeah, just, just get it fucking done. And then you can try again and try harder on a different book. See, Sasha, let's fucking publish it. Okay, so moving swiftly onwards, because I have bollocks on again. The rebel of the week this week is Lynn Reed. Lynn says, in high school, the last day of the graduating seniors is called senior class day. Young men wear suits, young women wear white and carry a long-stemmed red rose. And we all walk into the gymnasium to watch the list of who has voted uh, like most likely to succeed and most likely to get married, etc. Which only uh, really includes the most popular kids and not people like me. Well, I don't wear white and no one told me that I was required to do it. I knew it was the tradition because my dad had graduated from the same high school and it had been a tradition for him too. But I wasn't about to drop $30 on a freaking red rose. $30! When it's not senior class day, a rose would cost a few bucks. So rude. So when we went to buy my outfit, I um, got a beautiful pure black suit jacket and skirt, totally perfect for job interviews and office meetings with important people in the 1990s. Don't do the math. Um, when I went to the florist and got a white carnation boutonniere, the flower arrangement that guys wear to prom, I arrived at school on the big day wearing my black suit and white boutonniere with my power heels. Hey, again, it was the 90s in the Midwest. I walked into my advisor's office, my band director, no less, see, I am a nerd, and he looked at me, looked at the clock, and then looked back at me. Lynn, he said, you need to hurry and change, you are going to be late. But Mr. Richardson, I replied, it's too late to change clothes, this is what I'm wearing. He blinked and chuckled. I was going to skip today, but now I'm going. About 125 seniors, my graduating class, gathered in the auditorium for a few last-minute awards and to line up to walk into the gym in front of the gathered school. I was the only one wearing a black suit. Our principal was handing out awards, called my name, and did a triple take as I walked up to him. 
<laughs> when we walked into the gym, I could hear whispers uh, flow like a wave through the large room. My boyfriend at the time was sitting in the stands and laughed later because he could hear all of the whispers. Wait, why is she wearing black? Did she go to a funeral? <laughs> I love that so much. I love that you just said fuck you to the tradition. Something I, I really enjoy doing. <laughs> yeah, I really love this um this rebellion. It's just like I I love that you you were that one. Like there's nothing I I don't know, like I just love stories like this. It's empowerment, it's saying no to the patriarchy, it's saying like yeah, fucking girls wear white. Fuck off. <laughs> Why do we have to wear... Boys should wear white. Oh, anyway, I'm not going to get on um, my soapbox as I clearly just basically take out my soapbox. Uh, but anyway, power to you. Uh, power to anyone who bucks the trend uh, and embraces their inner diva. Uh, and why fucking not as well? The Rebel of the Week... Oh, the Rebel of the Week. I've just told you who the Rebel of the Week is. If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, then please do send in your story. Now, listen, really, please do send in your stories. Um, and the reason I'm saying that is because uh, we are very low on stories again. I do just have a small handful of stories left. Um, so if you have a rebellion, even if you have been a Rebel before, just send in your stories. I love them. I want this segment to continue for all time. Um, so, yeah... You can send in an itty bitty rebellion or a gigantic big one. It can be anything. Uh, and you can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black. A big welcome and thank you to Mel Climo and Angie Green. Thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, we are actually, I think when I checked, it was 84 patrons. So we are well on the way to 100 patrons, which is like like what <laughs> that's madness i don't i just thank you so much everybody who's supporting the show actually, i'm literally just reeling at that realization that is like bananas i can't believe we've got that many patrons thank you so so much thank you to the community thank you to like everybody who supports the show like i know i say it all the time but it's because i mean it you guys are amazing you keep me on my toes actually <laughs> well just say that <laughs> But um, yes, thank you so much. And if you would like to support the show and get uh, early access to all of the episodes, as well as random bonus stuff like bloopers or joining me uh, for, uh, what's it called? Poison and Prose or Silent September then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Now, this episode is kindly sponsored by The Amazing Kobe Writing Life. So um, I'm going to play a little teeny tiny word from the girls over at uh, Kobo, and uh, then we'll get into the episode. Hey Rebels, we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. Kobo Writing Life was built by authors for authors and our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. One of the ways we're doing that is by giving you the chance to reach subscription readers by opting your titles into Kobo Plus. Kobo Plus is our subscription program, which offers thousands of titles in an all-you-can-read catalog to readers in select countries. It's currently available in the Netherlands, Belgium, Portugal, and Canada with plans to expand. Stay tuned for that. Authors can opt into all territories or pick and choose as they please. 
really important to us that authors retain complete control over their work, which is why we will never ever ask you to be exclusive. You can opt your books in on a per title basis and continue selling them on all other retailers. Global Plus helps get your books in front of a new audience of subscription readers who are a different audience than our typical a la carte readers and allows you to earn money on top of your a la carte sales. Authors get paid for every minute spent reading, including rereads. So opt your books in now and reach even more Kobo readers. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. You can create your free account at kobo.com slash writing life. Now back to Sasha. Happy writing. Hello, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I am super excited because I am joined by one of my dearest writing friends, Caitlin Duncan. Caitlin is a multi-published hybrid author of adult and young adult fiction and has ghostwritten over 40 novels for children and adults. When she's not writing, she's obsessing over many, many television series and hanging out uh, on YouTube where she shares her writing process and all the bookish things and where I have also had the pleasure of uh, being. So perhaps we'll put the link into in the show notes for that as well. So hey, hey buddy. Hey, how are you? <laughs> I am good. I am much better for talking to you. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, oh, no worries. All right. So I read your bio, but would you like to tell everyone a little bit more about you? Like what was your journey? How did you get to where you are today? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I've been publishing since 2013. I started off with an imprint called Karina UK. It was a part of Harlequin. And then uh, it's a digital first imprint. So that means that all of my books came out ebooks first, and then with the option later on to do paperback and audio and things like that. Unfortunately, most of my books are only ebook um, available. So um, after uh, Harlequin was bought up, bought up by HarperCollins. Um, I started working under the imprint of HQ Digital. And while I was publishing that, I had a child. And after uh, she was born, I had the fortunate uh, ability to stay home with her. And um, I wanted to keep writing with, um, even with digital first publishing, it takes a little bit to get your books out. It's not as long as say a tr more traditional published book, not, you know, 18 months to two years, but I wanted to continue writing and honing my craft. So I started ghostwriting and I did that from 2015 through 2019. Um, and then I continued with HQ Digital until 2020 when I had a severe uh, burnout episode and uh, stepped back from publishing for a little bit um, before I decided I wanted to carve my own path. And also in 2020, I got the rights reverted on my debut young adult trilogy. That's the one I started publishing in 2013. And that sort of propelled me toward wanting to look at self-publishing more than traditional publishing. Yeah. And that is a brilliant segue into um, the fact that you are publishing a nonfiction book as well. Um, so would you like to tell everyone a little bit about it? What's it called? What's it about? When is it um, releasing? 
Absolutely. So this is, uh, this book is called Take Back Your Book, an author's guide to rights reversion and publishing on your terms. This is basically a deconstruction of the whole process of rights reversion that I went through. And along with some um, other awesome success stories from other authors who are so, so awesome to, uh, to take part in this. Um, inside the book, there are practical tips on how to get your rights reverted and considerations for your book after reversion, uh, whether you decide to republish or not. And I am publishing it in August, uh, August 26th, uh, 2021. Awesome. So before we dive into um, a bit more about what rights reversion is and stuff, I'm just going to, because exp- there's lots of new words, I suspect, for yes. indies. Um, I mean, I know I've got like a mixture of trad, hybrid and indies uh, listening, but for perhaps some of the um, listeners, when you create a book, the moment you finish creating a book, you have rights over that book. And yes. those intellectual, they're called intellectual property rights. And it's not as straightforward as just having a book, is it? So you mentioned there um, different things. So you mentioned audiobook and paperback and you mentioned digital. So like, do you want to just, and I know I didn't uh, tell you about this before, but can you just explain <laughs> to listeners um, a little bit about rights and the fact that there are so many different things attached to a book? Yes, absolutely. And as I do in my book, I want to just have a disclaimer that I'm not like a contracts lawyer or anything. So anything that I say is just from from my perspective Um, in terms of what I was talking about, audiobooks and paperback and ebook and hardback and large print, those are all subsidiary rights. Um, So when you sign over your book to a publisher, uh, those are the rights that they can exercise to publish your book in. So you're giving them the opportunity to publish in all of these different formats. Um, The rights reversion is a clause within a publishing contract that basically uh, uh, allows the author to, uh, to request at whatever point, there's usually thresholds um, that can be like um, after publication, seven years after publication, you can ask for rights reversion. Um, And then there's other thresholds as well, which can vary widely. I've seen many different ways that these can be structured, whether it's you're not, you're making a certain amount or under in any significant amount of time, or you're selling under a certain amount of units in that specific amount of time. It's very, it varies widely, as I say. So um, it can, you know, it can look very different from author to author. Yeah, which is one of the reasons it's so important to read Mm -hmm. your contract and uh, read it down to the nth degree and if possible, have somebody who's qualified read it as well. Um, Just one thing I'm going to throw in is that this is, uh, because you have so many rights attached to your book, this is why the Alliance of Independent Authors uh, really uh, advocates for indie authors uh, selling as few rights as possible and they call it um, selective rights licensing so for example they would say well instead of um licensing world right english language rights in 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 which means that your publisher would be able to publish your book in any english speaking country uh, that they wanted uh, you would just sell uk english language rights and then you would then get a certain amount of money for that and then you would earn royalties once you earned out that amount of money and then you could also sell your book for american english language rights and then that would be a different sale and then Therefore, you'd get money again for that. And that's why um, 
Ally advocates just selective licensing and if possible for as short amount of time as possible as well but of course publishers want to get as many rights as possible for as long as possible so this is what why agents are involved and there's this tussle between you getting you restricting what you sell and getting as much money for that as possible and then publishers taking as much as possible from you uh, for as little as possible um, and, and that's why it's a bit of a tussle but you know um when you create a book, there are other crazy rights like gaming rights, you know, or, or the characters you have rights over, over your character or merchandise. All of these different things are also rights that you either can um, utilize yourself as an indie or, or you can sell if you don't if you don't want to do don't want to take the, them up. And then, of course, um, the other one I was thinking is translation rights, because that's the one that I'm most interested in looking at for my nonfiction is translation rights, uh, just because I just don't think I've got the capacity at the moment to do it but I would really like to to translate some of like prose especially in the, and then villains but yes okay right so can I pop in for a minute I just you know in that in that vein um you know because I've signed I've only signed with um two different imprints and I have to say those two contracts looked very different and that's more in the quote-unquote traditional publishing space when I I don't have an agent so I negotiated my contracts and I found so much pushback when it came to any sub rights up front um, with these contracts. It was, you know, the, the term boilerplate was, was said many times like, oh, this is our boilerplate. You know, this is what we start with and then we'll consider sub rights and things like that later on. So I think, you know, moving forward with more experience that I have, like controlling those rights is so, so important. Mm. Um, and if it's important to you, then I would, um, I would question it. Um, and, you know, if you have a lawyer or an agent and you really, really want to keep certain rights, definitely do that prior to signing that contract, because yeah. once you're signed, it, it can get very difficult at that mm. point. Okay, so let's, you've sort of given a brief explanation of what rights reversion is, but let's go into that deeper. And like, why would authors consider it anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the reason why I considered it is that these books, um, specifically, I'm going to talk about my young adult debut series, um, they weren't selling. Um, my imprint specifically said they weren't publishing any more YA. Um, this was years uh, down the line. So um, the reason why you may look at rights reversion is that one, you're not selling well, you know, you're getting little to no royalties um, and you want to do more with the book. Um, you want the publisher to possibly look into promotions. I've been turned down for so many promotions. Um, they're not putting ads out and things like that. So taking back that control would be a consideration for uh, for my, why you want to uh, keep your book and take back your book and actually have your book, you know, live on uh, years to come because with the traditional publishing business model, it's very, very much front list, front list, front list, mm. where it's interesting as I'm moving into the indie space, it's all about backlist. Yeah. So the more, you know, <laughs> and you can go back, you can go back and, you know, take your first book and, put a new cover on it and rebrand it and things like that at any point mm -hmm. with a publisher when you're signed. Uh, it's very difficult. I have to say, I haven't really seen many publishers do that because they're so focused on the next book. Mm -hmm. When's the next book coming out? So 
The only time I see them doing that, um, and I'm only saying this just because I literally saw it this morning, is um, like a 10-year edition. So like Divergent has uh, like a 10-year edition and um, they've just changed up all the covers. Uh, and obviously, and they, like I saw it get a book barb and, you know, so like they're giving it another lease of life. But like 10 freaking years later. Oh, I know. <laughs> it just, like it's bonkers to me that they don't, yeah, that they don't really like focus on it. Um, yeah. Anyway, right. So, uh, so now we know like what rights reversion is, but like, how do you? Let's say you um, you're an, you're you're an author. You've got a handful of books traditionally published, but like they're not really doing anything. You're not able to leave your job. So, like, how do you even find out if you can go down this path? Like, how do you find out if you can do rights reversion? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely check your contract. Um, most of the time with these contracts, um, you know, you could be in them for, for years. So say, you know, from, from my uh, perspective, it was seven years since I published it. I don't remember what every little clause said. So I would recommend going into your contract, checking out the thresholds for the reversion clause. Uh, as I mentioned, there may be, you know, years between my two different imprints, um, the first one was seven years to rights reversion, and my the uh, the ones with uh, Harper Collins were only three years. So there's quite a quite a big difference just depending on your contract. Um, and if you have an agent, I will go to them first because that's what they're there for. Um, as I said, I've never had an agent, so I had to go back and do it myself. Um, and I did a lot of research um, as well. Um, with other authors to see what they did. So definitely, definitely check your contract, make sure you're within uh, those terms. If not, um, you do have the ability to, you know, ask early, I probably wouldn't recommend it. Um, but as long as you are under all the thresholds and within that, after the amount of years after publication, then, you know, you have the opportunity to do that. So can you t talk everyone through a high level uh, rights reversion? Like, how does it work? What are the steps? What are the main steps? What's the order of, of how it would work? Yes. So as I mentioned, you want to be able, you want to be sure that you're within the rights threshold amount. So it, say it was, I was close to seven years before, or I was after seven years before I requested reversion on my book. And it's really as simple as writing a letter. Um, oh. I do have a template in um, Take Back Your Book. And it's very, very simple. You don't have to write a manifesto. You basically, you know, quote the contract. If there's a contract number, you ask for that specific title. And you just say, you know, because in the contract it states I need to be selling, you know, 250 units. This is just an example um, within the past uh, year. If you haven't reached that, those are your those are your terms for wanting the books back. You know, you have to have evidence for wanting them back, and then you you basically wait at that point. Um, for me, for these books, I waited about four months to hear back, um, but that can vary wow. widely. Yeah, so um, it was quite a interesting process, and I think you know while I was writing this book, I was deconstructing that process and the things I should have been thinking about in those four months I do outline in the book but um, I pretty much just like waited because at that point um, I signed the contract so I mean they could just say no uh, overall but uh, I did I was successful and from then it it went relatively quickly um, in terms of getting all the books down from the vendors. 
So they take the books down from the vendors um, yes. and then do they give you files back? Do they like, how does that work? So in some contracts, you do have the ability to purchase production files. I got the price of my production files and I didn't want to pay for them. Um, so basically I had to go back to an earlier version of the book that I had wow. and then revise from there. But um, I had the ability to do that. Like you would have, I would assume because, well, because I didn't do it, I would assume it would be like the formatting files. So you would have like the final, final version. Um, when it came to any of my books, the last time I saw my book was usually in the copy edit stage. So I wouldn't see um, after proofread and I wouldn't see a formatted file. So oh I pretty much let it go at that point. You know, a lot of this oh. stuff is just, you, you learn along the way, Sasha, you learn. Um, and I know probably so many people are cringing. Like you cringe every time I talk to you about this stuff. So <laughs> it's just like, I, and I say this all the time. I am not anti-trad. Like I have a book that I'm working on that is very suited to trad and I'm 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 finding it difficult because that tiny piece of inside of me that wants validation is like well why don't you just try and then like the realist and like the 99.9999% of me is like bitch are you for real <laughs> get out of it you know because like I listen to stuff like that and I'm like you don't have your files but of course like it's their property like you sold it to them um you exactly. know um but it just it, every time I hear stuff like that it is still such a shock and because you know we are so involved I it's funny I was speaking to um a book formatting company last night on a podcast and um they have very kindly offered to format a book for me so that I can then speak to like their service uh, like in retrospect on on the podcast and I was like and then they offered me this like two months ago and I was like oh yeah that sounds wonderful and then like for the two months leading up to the interview, I was like, hell no, like I'm not giving my book over. You out of your mind, you know, because like, and we had a little chat about this before we, we went on and recorded and they were having a giggle and I was having a giggle, but like, I was like, I can't, I can't give it to you because like, what happens if I want to make a change or like, or what happens if, you know, and they were like, oh, you know, it's like $12 or whatever to make a change. But yeah, like, what if I want to make a change all the time or, you know, um, but yeah, okay, fine. $12 isn't that much. And I'm probably not going to make a change like very often. But what I've decided to do is do the hardback version because I'm very unlikely to change that. But like, I really couldn't give control to like, and for somebody else to hold, like, I just couldn't, I don't know. Like, I think you become very institutionalized in controlling things when you're an indie. Like, and I don't think I realized quite how institutionalized I was in controlling my process until I had to give over my book to, for formatting. So like, yeah, it's always a bit of a shock to me to then hear about the trad process. Um, well, I'm getting, I'm getting a bit, a taste of that, Sasha, to be honest, like <laughs> everything, um, you know, that I'm looking at with my books, especially formatting, because I've been at that point where I'm like, oh, there's like two other steps after I handed this book over that yeah. I have no idea about. I have no control over, <laughs> you know, like when you see, when you see the pretty past pages on Instagram, uh, that author does not get to keep those. They go back to the publisher. So I guess, I mean, unless you 
copy them or something like you don't have that final version I so that's why they have that. those you I mean even, you I'm don't like, even keep I'm, the physical copy I don't think so because I think oh you, you make comments on it and then you like ship it back oh yeah of course um, I could be wrong I could totally be wrong but I have a feeling that that's the case um yeah the control is is quite addicting I have to say yes <laughs> Uh, okay right so we we understand like uh the rights reversion we understand you know what you're going to get essentially you know uh in fact actually this reminded me uh, one of the points i was going to make is this is why it's so important even if you are going down the traditional publishing route to keep copies upon copies upon backed up yes. copies of your yes. work um at every possible stage so that um you know, God forbid anything does happen, you do have to revert or you choose to revert or, you know, you, it that falls through or whatever, um, you still have uh, copies of your, your, your books. So don't rely on your publisher to keep those or to give them back to you if you're expecting uh, rights reversion. So essentially what you got then was an email saying, sure, you can, you can publish that book again. That's it. Correct. Yeah, I got an email and I printed it out. Again, when you're keeping your book copies, you got to keep that reversion letter because I've heard of authors having issues when they try to re-upload um, that this book like already exists, even though the ISBN obviously would be different. Um, so you want to keep that letter because all you'd have to do, say it was Amazon, is just send them a copy of the letter. And then I, from what I heard, that usually solves it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah keep all of those copies yeah and then they took everything down I have to say the process of them taking it down was sort of like was sort of like a breakup where someone like throws everything out the window after you break up with them so it took four months for them to say yes and then they're like the next day everything was gone um so I do recommend and and I say it in the book as well like when you're in this process of reversion take everything off of these vendors as you can copy and paste screenshot print out you know because you do want to have some of this information going forward you know in terms of like trim size and um, the ASIN which um, is a, a, a trick that I well not a trick but a tip that I came across um, that you if you link the old ASIN which is the Amazon standard identification number I think that's what it stands for yeah to your new one if you republish um you can you can get all your reviews back mm-hmm. um so that would depend on if you wanted those reviews or if you wanted to start from scratch but I think having that option is great and um, just keep all of that information because once it's reverted I mean they have they could just take everything down in one day yeah yeah and And I loved that yeah exactly I loved that tip the other thing that you wrote in there which I thought was really helpful was around taking a copy of your blurb as well uh before you request um the reversion because once that's gone it's gone as well all right is there anything sorry go ahead no no especially um because I only had ebooks yeah, um, because I didn't have a physical copy. I, I wouldn't have, I know some people would have a physical copy. They could just read the back. Um, they could have everything on like copyright pages and whatnot. Um, I didn't have that. So once the ebook was down, everything was gone. So mm-hmm. is there anything that you can do if a publisher says, no, you can't have your rights back? There is. And I, I wanted to to talk about that a little bit because um, I do have a story within my within my book of a friend of mine who has uh, been trying to do this for a long time. She's been trying to revert, and they the publisher basically offered to do all of this to recover the book, to promote it, to put ads on it, things like that. 
whether or not those things happened, you know, that's, that's for her to say. Um, so you, you can always ask um, again, uh, because if, you know, you ask for it and they're like, no, we're going to recover it. We're going to, we're going to remarket it and everything. And then six months down the line, like the needle hasn't moved at all. Um, and you, and you are within your rights of reversion. Um, keep asking. I would, I would recommend to keep doing that. Obviously don't be rude about it. Um, but you can keep asking to say like, oh, I've, I have all of these royalty reports and I'm still not making money. I'm in the reversion threshold. Can I have my rights back? Um, another instance I've heard of authors is asking specifically for subrights. Um, I listened to a podcast recently with an agent and um, they were saying that they brought it to the publisher. So say the, I think the eBooks and paperback and uh, hardback were selling well, but they weren't exercising audiobook rights and the author really wanted an audiobook. So they asked in the same type of reversion letter to say, I want my audiobook rights back. And the publisher had said something like, oh, we plan on doing this in the next six months. Six months went by and they still haven't had an audiobook and eventually it was reverted. So you can ask to revert subrights within the contract. Um, and it's just up to the publisher on whether or not they feel like they're going to use them or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. Oh, just screams why, like allies point around making sure that you don't sell all of the rights where possible so that you do retain some of these sub rights. Um, all right. Are there any mistakes? Because I know that like, obviously, having read the book, I know that you've done a lot of research and you've got case studies and things. So like, are there any mistakes that you see authors making in the reversion uh, process or that they should avoid? Yes. Um, and I made this mistake, as you all know, um, when I asked for a book for rights back like a year after it, uh, it came out, it just, there was just a problem with it. Um, I had wrote it when I was pregnant and I had edited it when I was postpartum. So it was just not the book of my heart. Um, it just, they had asked for a lot of changes and I just went with it because what happens in pregnancy brain, I guess, uh, at least for me. Um, so I did like, it just, this book tanked and it's taken me a long time to talk about this book. I'm not going to mention which one, um, but this one like just absolutely tanked. So I had asked for the book and they very politely were like, um, you're not even close to the reversion and things like that. So definitely make sure you're within your terms because they can very quickly say no if you're not even close to those terms. Um, and then another mistake is not following up. So as I mentioned, you know, if they say they're going to revert, you know, not the revert the book, remarket it, things like that. And then you just kind of let it sit. Um, that's a mistake you can make. Follow up as, you know, as many times as it takes to get the book back or to have it selling properly the way you want. Um, I did want to add that um, a mistake for after reversion, this is something that I realized and I've added to my list of things to do once my books are reverted, is making sure that none of your copies are still available for sale, mm. because that means that they can still make money off of your book. I, one of my copies was on Apple Books. Everything else was off, which was really strange. So I think it was just a technical error that they made, like they had missed it. Um, and then I quickly asked them, you know, hey, it's still available. And, and they took it down, I think, within a day or two. So definitely make sure that you follow up. 
make sure you're within your terms and make sure all the books are down. There is a case study within my book that talks about an author who for a long time, their publisher was making money off their book after rights were reverted, which I just think is, it's not right. And it's not legally right as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I bet they can have to get, get any money from them. Well, I mean, I guess she could have, but then that would have involved lawyer fees and things like that. And it's like, I feel like in that instance, that person was being taken advantage of, which mm-hmm. is not great. Um, it's, it's horrible to say the least. So mm. yeah, those are my, my mistakes that I've seen. Yep. All right. So you mentioned that you or, or somebody had to wait four months. Um, so how, like, how long does this whole process take to, to get your rights reverted? This can vary as, as, as the contracts vary. My, it took me about four months um, to get it back and, um, and then taking it down from retailers took no time at all. So it really just depends. It depends on the publisher. And if, you know, if it's a smaller press or a bigger one, they may, if it's a bigger press, they may have like teams of people who do this. Um, smaller presses might not, so it might take longer. Um, so there's really no hard and fast like timeline. I would just say, stay on it mm-hmm. um, as much as you can. And like uh, some more, I suppose, technical questions, like where, let's say you want to do this, but you're afraid of doing it. Like, where can you go to get advice or help or, um, you know, like, I suppose on the professional side as well, like where are the the places you can go to get help? Yeah. I mean, as I said, an agent, if you have an agent, definitely go to them first. Um, or you may have to hire a lawyer um, for two, one of my contracts. I hired a private literary lawyer um, to go over it with me. And um, it's, it's funny as a non-agented author, like publishers sometimes like don't care <laughs> to, to go through with your requests. Um, and then the last contract I had, I went through, I believe the Authors Guild um, with their membership. They have lawyers who know all about these specific contracts. And that's something that I learned my very first contract is such a dumb mistake, but I didn't know very much in which, you know, sometimes that's, you get taken advantage of. So I uh, went with the lawyer that we, uh, we bought our house from. So it was just like some <laughs> random lawyer. Brilliant. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so dumb. And I know a lot of people make these mistakes. So I'm happy to like talk about my mistakes now. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the next one was actually a literary lawyer. Um, and then the Authors Guild, they have so much experience looking at contracts um, and that's just what they do for mm-hmm. you. So um, I know there's other societies and memberships that do that. I believe Ally does something similar. Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, they can look at contracts for you as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They also have an agent on their, um, like their advisory board. So there is actually an agent who can uh look at contracts as well but I think you have to you might have to be an entrepreneur for that like type member um all right so let's say you've had your rights reverted what are the broad options that you like what can you do with that book now yeah there are several different options um which I do outline in the book as well um the biggest ones I would say was the first one was do nothing with the book, just take the book back. Um, whether it doesn't really fit into your backlist anymore, or say you wrote romance and now you want to write, you know, young adult steampunk or something, and it doesn't really fit. Um, you know, you could take it down. Um, you can get the rights reverted, 
drawer it basically forever and just take the experience with you forward. Um, people have done that. Um, you can use it as a reader magnet, uh, lead magnet, as they say, um, since the book is hopefully, you know, if you got the production files back or in the process uh, later on, you kept those files, you know, since the book is already edited, you can use it as a freebie to get people onto your newsletter list, um, but you still want it working for you. You're not going to do nothing with it, but you still want it out there. Um, you can do that. And then the last one is really just republish it, you know, take take it whether or not you want to take it from the production file and republish it, completely edit it, rewrite it, do whatever you want with it, um, which is what the process that I went through with mine. Mm -hmm. All right. So you have been on one hell of a journey uh, from trad uh, through, um, I suppose, the, I, I suppose you're going to be hybrid, aren't you? Because you still have some trad books. Yes. Um, through to like a very what cut comes across to me now uh even like in the last three months I've seen a difference but like as a very indie mindset so like can you like what do you think is the biggest shift like mindset wise that you or or maybe like the biggest lesson that you've learned like yeah I mean I've learned a lot of lessons of what not to do um but I think <laughs> the <laughs> The biggest thing for me is that mindset shift of embracing control. You know, I gave away so much control with these books and I have to say, like, I don't regret this process. And I just want to say, like, I don't hate pu traditional publishing, like at all. I think it has its purpose. Um, but I think as we're moving, you know, past 2020 and all that, like, I really like having control over my books. The traditional publishing industry right now is pretty volatile. And I used to be so afraid like I was literally anxious, terrified that if I didn't have a publisher, like my books were not worth it. I didn't have that validation. And that's something that I speak to a lot of authors about is needing that validation because it's what we know. You see an author on a bookshelf. I want to be that author. I need to go with a publisher to do that, which now in this, you know, in 2021, you don't need to do that. Indies are in bookstores everywhere. Um, so I've had a lot of fun with this process, it's a lot of work and I've made a lot of lists, but it's <laughs> it's very, very freeing to me to be able to say, okay, I'm gonna put this book out now and I'm gonna do it the best that I can. But in two years time, like if I wanna rebrand it or promote it, like I can do that. I couldn't do that before. And it's so freeing to be able to be like, okay, I, I'm not so afraid to be like, this is the final copy, it's going to my publisher. And then heaven forbid you see a mistake in it and then they don't want to change it type of thing. Um, so now I can do that. I feel very free to be able to do this process because of the control. So I'd say embracing the control has been my biggest mindset shift. Amazing. All right. Well, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. So tell us about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. Well, as you know, I'm not very rebellious, but <laughs> I have to say this book is my biggest rebellion, I think, uh, that, that I can think of so far, um, especially when it comes to my publishing. I was so scared to speak out previously about like anything that I didn't feel was right about this process. And there was like, when I, when this book came to me, it was like a small voice inside of me that was like, I think it might've been yours, Sasha, like a big, <laughs> big voice actually. <laughs> telling me I really had to speak out and talk about this um, because 
you know, during my process of rice reversion, I didn't see anything out there about it. Um, I would see some articles and things like that, but I really like, I wanted someone to put, bring me through the process from start to finish on how to do this. Um, so I just, you know, created this book myself because I feel like I can't be the only one uh, mm -hmm. who's going through this. And I know through my research that I am not the only one. So yeah. this book is definitely my rebellion. And what a fantastic rebellion it is. Come to the dark side, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I am just going to say, I have read the book and it was deeply fascinating to me. Um, and so even if you are an indie author listening and you've got no um, interest in going trad, or if you're an indie author and you do have some interest in being trad, I would urge you to read this book because it will show you, I suppose, what can go wrong and then actually how you can flip that on its head and how you can make it go right, even if uh, it hasn't gone uh, the way that you wanted it to in trad. Basically, it is a super interesting book about publishing in general. So if you are in this sphere of publishing, I think everybody ought to read the book. Um, not least because you also have some interesting case studies in there uh, and they are very varied, very interesting. Um, and, and you have a stack of tips in there, you know, even things that I was like, oh, I wouldn't have, have thought of that as well. So, you know, like the, the thing that I loved most was um, like for me, even though I'm an indie author, like I don't collect my information anywhere, uh, you know, and so I've started to build like asset spreadsheets and stuff of all my book information. And so, yeah, like I think there is something in your book for everybody. And I don't say that lightly. So I do. Uh, I insist everybody go and buy this book and, and go and read this book. Oh, thank well, you. <laughs> do you want to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and find out about all of your lovely things that you you get up to yes absolutely so um everything's on my website i you know came through a lot of my socials throughout the years and didn't put everything under the same name so um all my socials uh, my newsletter my youtube stuff is on uh, caitlinduncan.com and i'm sure sasha will put that in the episode uh notes and uh yeah so everything is there uh you have access to me there um yeah. amazing and i will also make a note to put uh the links to uh our episode as well so uh, i will make sure all of that stuff is in there all right well thank you so much for your time today and thank you and of course a gigantic uh thank you to all of the show's uh patrons if you would like to get early access to all of the episodes as well as stacks of bonus content and joining me for poison and prose and random sprint days then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash sasha black and of course thank you to everybody listening my name is sasha black you were listening to caitlin duncan and this was the rebel author podcast next week i am going to be joined by ed crother who is a professional photographer who took my recent uh, new headshots. You may have seen some of them on Instagram. Um, yeah, and he is going to talk you all through uh, like why you need headshots, how you can prepare, um, the kind of research you might need to do, um, like the mental preparation for being the center of attention, which I'm, I know many of us don't really like doing. Um, yes, so it is packed full of tips and I thought it would be interesting because it's a little bit different in terms of um, episode content as well. 
I suppose that's one other thing I'm gonna say. I'm now looking at um, like the last block of uh, interviews for this year, and I've created a new uh, podcast pitch form. So if you are interested in um, pitching uh, to be on the show, or if you uh, then reach out and I can send you the link to that uh, that form. And if you know somebody or you have a particular type of episode or a particular topic you would like to hear um, me interviewing somebody on, then please do let me know. Uh, I am going to be uh, going through and contacting people in the next sort of two or three weeks uh, to do the last batch of interviews for this year. So yeah, if you've got a topic idea, then uh, let me know. And I will uh, be back next week talking to Ed and hopefully in the meantime I will find time to record a bonus episode uh, that I don't manage to magically delete. Fuck you, Mac. Um, And yeah, so I will be back then next week and I hope you all have a lovely writing week. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. (laughs) 